Hello and welcome to episode 46 of Linux After Dark. I'm Joe. I'm Chris. I'm Gary. And I'm Dalton. Welcome back, chaps. A few episodes ago, we talked about the idea of lightweight Linux, and that got us talking after we'd finished recording about what is the oldest hardware that would be willing to daily drive. And so we've all been digging out our old laptops and kind of seeing what we'd be willing to put up with. And what exactly daily drive means, I think, is going to be up for debate because you've got work and recreation, and they are not necessarily the same in terms of what you need computing-wise. So, Gary, what is the oldest hardware you would be willing to daily drive? So the machine that I dug out of the stack of laptops was a ThinkPad T400. But unlike most ThinkPad T400s, this one was running LibreBoot. So uh, specs-wise, it is a Corti Duo P8600, which is a 2.4 gigahertz Corti Duo, 8 gigs of RAM, tried with 4 gigs, and it just wasn't wasn't going anywhere in terms of getting anything daily driver-worthy done, and just a random SSD that I pulled out of a drawer and put in it. So hang on, Libreboot, how did you end up with that? So I've had this ThinkPad for quite a long time, and it was running the stock firmware. And I think we've mentioned a few times on the show, you know, oh yeah, well, there's those people with Libreboot ThinkPads. So I thought I'd give it a go. Looked into flashing it myself, and I didn't have the correct kind of EEPROM readers and everything else. So if I'm being honest, I gave it to a workmate who does do that kind of stuff and asked them to flash Libreboot on it for me. And the machine came back with Libreboot on. And hopefully nothing else. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I do trust the guy, so... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's fine. People sell them at a horrendous markup on eBay pre-flashed or tried to. I don't know if the, how many successful sales they have. But yeah, these very, very old ThinkPads pre-flashed with Libreboot with a huge accompanying, this is, you know, Stallman-esque, like this is a really free computer that really belongs to you and is worth the money. Yeah, it's like double the price of what you'd actually get one of these ropey old ThinkPads for. <laughs> I absolutely did not go and spend 150 quid on a 15-year-old ThinkPad. That would be crazy. So what was it like putting Linux on it then? Was it just a standard, didn't even notice the difference or what? I probably wouldn't have done. Was I not trying to install from a Ventoy USB, which just did not work particularly well. I couldn't get the Ventoy boot menu to show up. But when I just downloaded the Debian stable ISO, and yes, Debian stable, uh, because it's an old machine, so why not use a distro with some old software in it was yeah pretty normal so the only thing that i had to do which was slightly weird was manually set the video mode in the grub command line but once i'd done that it boosted into the installer and every subsequent boot was perfectly normal i was just thinking i haven't done that for 13 years oh yeah correct yeah, <laughs> yeah it's about the vintage of this machine <laughs> and so you found this machine to be okay to do daily tasks on even though it's really really old yeah so i've been using it on and off throughout the last week or so since we spoke about it and yeah like mostly for just browsing and stuff watching youtube in 720p was absolutely fine and to be honest the thing has only got a 1440 by 900 display anyway so anything above that is wasted on it but this afternoon I tried to give it a real test. So I thought I'm going to go and build up all of the stuff that I use for my home infrastructure in Docker on this machine from scratch. <laughs> and I thought, actually, I'm just going to use it exactly the same as I do my daily driver ThinkPad, which is an X13 Gen 2. 
So installed VS Code on it, installed Spotify on it, installed Chrome on it and signed into my Google account, Telegram, Flatpak, all of that stuff just set up on the machine and just set about using it as I normally would. And I got pretty far. So in terms of containers, there was Nextcloud running on there. There was actually an open LDAP server running on there. There was a Keycloak server running on there, all in separate containers. And it wasn't until I started you know, really cranking up a few Java applications that it got a little bit slow and you know, extracting container images slower than I'd expect. And yeah, everything was perfectly usable. Spotify continued playing in the background throughout. I had about 15 Chrome tabs open, all of which were perfectly fine and responsive. None of them seemed to kick into the Chrome memory saver mode. Everything seemed okay. It was noticeably slower than my usual machine, but I could live with it if I had to. What about you, Dalton? Which one did you drag out? I tried two different things. So I tried a mobile device and I tried a laptop. So for the mobile device, this is short. I tried a 2013 (laughs) Nexus 7 tablet, Mm -hmm. and I put Lineage OS on it. You can get current Lineage OS for that device, as long as you repartition it. Loaded up NewPipe, tried to play a video at 720p60, and it completely lagged. (laughs) (laughs) It can do 720p30 just fine, but 60 frames per second, it completely dies. I assume it doesn't have a decoder for that. I've got one of those. But the charging port's broken on it, or maybe the charging controller, I don't know. But I I almost bought a new uh, board for it, but I just thought it's too old and rubbish. Yeah, it's pretty rough. As for the laptop situation, I have an old Asus T300Chi, which is a 2-in-1 convertible with an active pen. Um, That's why I got it in 2015 because I wanted something to take notes uh, while I was in college, and I didn't want a notebook because I'm a nerd. (laughs) So I got the Fedora KDE Remix release going on it. Fedora 38 is a good release, by the way. Good work, everyone. And it's okay. I still stand behind what I said in that light distros and full-fat distros aren't all that different. It's a machine with a dual-core with hyper-threading CPU, it's a Core M3 series, and it's got 4 gigs of RAM, and it's a little rough. Uh, I don't think I could really use one, use it day-to-day unless I was just doing things like balancing my budget, and that's it. <laughs> you start to run things like Telegram and Discord on it, and it starts paging things out into ZRAM, and then you're really stuck. Or another thing I found is that Discover used like 400-ish megabytes of RAM, and that kind of eats into it there. So, all in all, a fine experience. It's still, I am so disappointed in how terrible computers have gotten in the intervening eight years since it came out, because I installed Linux on it, and just like the first time I installed Linux on it, Suspend works fine. It loses (laughs) like 5% battery in 24 hours in Suspend. My framework dies overnight in Suspend. It always wakes up in three seconds, whereas sometimes if you put your framework into deep sleep, it takes 10 seconds to wake up. It's great. Or 20. (laughs) It's just amazing how bad the experience has become on newer machines. What this whole experience really gave me was just an extreme disappointment in new computers. (laughs) It's funny you should say that because one of the things that I noticed going back to this old ThinkPad was how much better built it was than my Mm. modern one that I use every day and how much I miss stuff like 
closing the lid and having a real clunk and having an LED that tells me the machine's gone to sleep and isn't going to overheat in my bag on the walk home from the office. <laughs> things like that. So yeah, I agree. There are a lot of things that I do miss about old computers. Okay, this episode is sponsored by HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh, pre-proportioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. This summer, HelloFresh is here to take the work out of eating well. Reach your goals with delicious calorie-smart and protein-smart lunch and dinner options, plus new vegan recipes too. Need to make dinner in a hurry? Look for quick and easy recipes on the HelloFresh menu, including fast and fresh options, ready in just 15 minutes or less. The variety of different meals looks really impressive, and I'm sure even I could follow the simple, clear instructions, and I have very little experience in the kitchen. So support the show and go to hellofresh.com slash linuxafterdark16 and use code linuxafterdark16 for 16 free meals plus free shipping. That's hellofresh.com slash linuxafterdark16 and code linuxafterdark16. I just had the complete opposite experience, really, <laughs> to you lot, because <laughs> it just made me really appreciate having really good new fast hardware oh don't get me wrong the thing was slow and very difficult to use but it worked in a lot of places that count where new computers don't and that really upsets me my computing is really split into three mobile which is just kind of messaging and reading articles and stuff like that laptop which is mostly media consumption or editing show docs sending emails, that kind of thing. But then the real work of editing shows and recording shows, that's all done with my desktop. And when it comes to the desktop, it really just is a case of whatever is the fastest one I've got available. And so that's why I kind of thought, well, let, let's say the laptop daily driver, so I don't need to do editing and anything that requires power. And I tried various of my different laptops from the stack and it ultimately comes down to whatever the fastest one available is really because yeah you can edit documents and send emails from a really old machine and by really old i'm so privileged with this the oldest shittest laptop that i've got is a third gen i3 but it's it's a u series i3 so it's really underpowered with four gigs of soldered ram that's a viva book which is my wife's daily driver laptop it's exactly the same as hers and she just refuses to give it up because she's stubborn although she did say to me the other day oh the battery's not that good maybe uh, i should get a new one soon i was like finally i can uh, go laptop shopping or i can just give her one from the stack do that i actually used to do editing and stuff on this one i was away this vivo book when i was in sicily and i did mintcast and a joe Ress podcast from there i edited that on this vivo book uh, that was quite a while ago to be fair and, you know, I could do most of my stuff, but for example, right, when I finish editing each episode, I make the YouTube video and I use the Python visualizer that we've talked about that a, a listener kindly patched to work on modern Ubuntu. And it converts that video at a certain rate. And that rate is relative to real time. So if say it's a 30 minute episode, if it does it at one times, it's going to take 30 minutes to do it. If it does it at 10 times, it's going to take three minutes to do it. On my current workstation, I can do about nine times real time, best case, if I haven't got much else running. This Vivo book just about managed one times real time. 
And so I tried another old laptop of mine, which was the, the one that I edited most of Linux Luddites on. And that managed it at about 1.5-ish, and then the battery died. So <laughs> it was kind of creeping up. But the, uh, the battery said it was at 60%, and then it just turned off. So that was nice. But just ultimately, just give me the fastest thing that I've got available, really. If I have to use something terrible and old, then I will. But I'm just very privileged that I've got quite a lot of powerful hardware these days. A bit like you, Joe, the oldest stuff I have now in the stack of laptops is around third gen. But I've got to agree with what Gary and Dalton said. I like using those machines because the input devices are very good. The keyboards have nice travel. They are a bit on the fat side, but they have really solid hinges. They have a mouse a touchpad with two buttons, two physical separate buttons. It feels like a very pleasurable computer to use. The problem is, is that they tend to have quite short battery life, get quite hot, and they have a fan and all the rest of that. And one machine, which I do like to carry with me, has a Celeron N3350 in it. Because I was looking at the benchmarks, I was staging it all out and it's not that far off the actual performance of those machines and as long as it has an ssd and eight gigabytes of ram most of the time i'm happy to use that because it sips six watts and it's completely passive and i feel like that is kind of the pattern that happens is that the performance of the very low kind of what you would have called atoms and they now are just pentiums and celerons catches up in about three or four years to what was good you know, a few years back, basically. I like to carry this machine because it has quite a long battery life. It has no fan. It's very lightweight. And essentially, if I lost it or broke it, I wouldn't be that upset. And it's definitely usable. And I will pick it up ahead of the more modern machines I have for all of those reasons. So I think it's fine. I only notice if I do something intensive. And I think that's what it really comes down to. A lot of the time, anything I do that's intensively compute-based to do with my work, I'm SSHing into a cluster of computers that do all of the heavy lifting. So all I need is a terminal that connects to that most of the time. And I only really notice it's a shit laptop when I do anything like run a very high definition video in a codec on YouTube that it's just going to struggle with. But the day-to-day I can eminently daily drive it. And I do sometimes when I'm traveling, I will only carry it with me because I can get the job done with it. And it is kind of versatile. And it's from like 2016. And I think that's what tends to happen. I think as long as you've got two cores and four threads as well, you're still all right because a lot of stuff relies on the single thread core of the two cores. And if it has hyperthreading, you're going to be okay. You don't need quad core stuff. And I think that's what starts to change. I imagine in a few years time, if we have this conversation again, we'll be like, oh no, everything is spread across the four cores now. And you really feel it when you drop to two. It's all about trade-offs and what you actually have to do with the thing, I think. Well, if you really forced me to pick one computer that was just going to be, that's it, that's the only computer you've got, it would be my Entryware Apollo, which has got an 8th gen i7, the 8565U, which is four cores with hyperthreading. And I think I've got 32 gigs of RAM in there as well. So that really is about as old as I could feasibly go and get my work done, I think. 
Yeah, I think ultimately, like, if you really force me to use some of these old things, it's not like I couldn't do it. But new computers are kind of nice, and it's really possible to get some really good deals on computers that have seen some use, but are in good shape and are relatively fast. I haven't paid more than $200 for either of my parents' laptops, and they use them every day. The only reason why they were that expensive is because I upgraded them to SSDs. Well, one of the best things that's happened to Linux-friendly hardware is Windows 11 and the hardware requirements for that. It means that you've got these very capable 6th and 7th gen i7 and i5 machines that you can get for peanuts now because they won't run Windows 11 officially. That's good. The ThinkPad T470 was really, I think, a good machine. So if you can pick one of those up, not a bad deal. To conclude my final thoughts on it, it would be it has to have two cores, four threads, eight gigs of RAM, an SSD, and the battery has to last between four and five hours away from the wall. And I think to get there, you either have to have a Celeron from around 2015, 16, or somewhere around a sixth, seventh gen, i5 or i7. And that would be where I would draw the line. Meanwhile, Gary's just crying that he put up with a Core 2 Duo for the last week. (laughs) (laughs) It was absolutely fine. I mean, I didn't do any video calls. I'll caveat that, but... I think I could get by. And it is fun to go back to some of this hardware and just see, one, how good do we actually have it? How privileged are we actually? But also, how good were computers at that time? And I think it's a really enjoyable experience and one that I'd recommend to others. I'll keep the stack in the drawer then. (laughs) Okay. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Tailscale. Go to tailscale.com. Tailscale is a VPN service that makes the devices and applications you own accessible anywhere in the world, securely and effortlessly. It enables encrypted point-to-point connections using WireGuard, which means only devices on your private network can communicate with each other. Unlike traditional VPNs, which tunnel all network traffic through a central gateway server, Tailscale creates a peer-to-peer mesh network. It handles complex network configuration on your behalf, so you don't have to. Network connections between devices pierce through firewalls and routers as if they weren't there, so there's no need to manually configure port forwarding. Tailscale is available for Linux, Mac, Windows, Raspberry Pi and ARM, Android, iOS, Synology, and for devices that don't allow additional software to be installed, such as printers and other embedded devices, where you can set up a subnet router to act as a gateway, relaying traffic from your Tailscale network onto your physical subnet. So go to tailscale.com to try it for free on up to 100 devices. That's tailscale.com. Quick bit of admin then. First of all, thank you everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. If you want to join those people, you can go to linuxafterdark.net slash support. And remember, for various amounts on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed of either just this show or all the shows in the late-night Linux family. And if you want to get in contact with us, you can email show at linuxafterdark.net. Let's do some feedback. Brendan and quite a lot of other people got in touch with us regarding our episode about the future and what it's going to hold for your Generation Alpha kids. And it seems we missed an important point. Brendan wrote, First off, to Dalton's idea about people thinking that everything is today as it always will be, I'd like to point you to the age-like-milk phrase from the end of the 19th century about new patents in the 1900s. Everything that can be invented has been invented. Yeah, humans are idiots. Secondly, as a father of two with a third on the way, I'm amazed that no one brought up what will inevitably affect our children to a huge extent in the middle of the century, climate change. 
Having just said that humans are terrible at predicting the future, I know it's not the smartest thing to immediately predict the future, but following the science, with a massively heating world and governments and industries seemingly unwilling to do anything about it, I can only assume that the career trajectories of the next generations will be impacted by natural disasters as well as wars and migration resulting from huge parts of the Earth being made uninhabitable to human life. But that too is from my 2023 perspective. Asking someone in 1950 what children of tomorrow would be doing professionally, I'm sure something about nuclear fission would have come up. Yeah, keep it light, Brendan, come on. (laughs) (laughs) But this is a good point. We didn't really take into account the potentially huge changes in the world generally. We kind of just assumed that things would just carry on as they are now, just with faster computers and more AI. I told you all, that's the natural way that humans do things. Yeah. We can't think differently. No, we definitely fell into that 1900s trap. You think about things like the road or various other post-apocalyptic things. I mean, are we going to be hand-cranking solar batteries to store the the most precious kilowatt hours? Like, I think we discussed this off-air once before. We just don't think about it as much as maybe we should. I certainly don't. The only time I started worrying about power draw for what I was running was because it was going to hit me in the pocket. Yeah, exactly. Same for, I'm sure, a lot of people. I'm sure there's a lot of people listening who deeply care about this stuff and think about it on a daily basis, but it's just not very nice to think about, is it? And, uh, you know, we do this for fun and, you know, to entertain people. And it's just a bit of a downer, isn't it, when you think about the inevitable sort of, uh, well, collapse of humanity, I suppose, due to climate change. I remember talking to someone whose job was in sustainability about this as well. And I think it's really difficult to strike a tone that gets people to listen about this stuff. That is a real challenge to overcome. If you run around going, oh my God, it's terrible, the world's ending. Most people don't listen, was what he said anyway. He said being massively alarmist doesn't necessarily always work, even though we should be. It's a really difficult topic. And it's the same thing for me, Joe. I tend to sort of see computers sometimes as a bit of an escape. So I don't think about that stuff because it's too heavy. Well, the KDE project are thinking about this stuff with their sustainability efforts. It's a German government certification, Blauer Engel, I think it's called. Yeah, and they're getting involved with that. And it's certainly starting to think about these things, about how software can be more efficient and more energy efficient. And, you know, you think about all the like CICD pipelines and stuff that must be just churning constantly, just burning loads of electricity that is potentially not needed. I don't know. I'm sure some people would disagree with me on that. Yeah. I mean, I talk to customers about sustainability at work a reasonable amount, and I'd not really thought about the software angle of it either. Customers are very focused on moving to ARM CPUs or moving to serverless technologies or whatever else so that they're getting more CPU cycles per watt or whatever the relevant measurement is. And I don't think many people are really thinking about it from a, yeah, my five lines of code here might be making the CPU peg for 10 seconds and what's the impact of that. But I think if you look at those things in kind of singular, they don't really make that much difference. I think it really does need a big change as to how we approach this stuff and how we approach software development as a community to really make a difference. I've noticed that anytime I've tried to optimize something that has never been optimized before, I can usually get about 50% out of it, which is crazy. But 
if someone never looks at it and they're doing order of n squared loops, if you figure out a way to collapse that down, you end up losing a lot of time. Yeah, I think what you said, Gary, taps into a wider discourse around the whole of this topic, where individual responsibility, whilst important, tends to get over forefronted, I think, in my opinion. I do think we need to have nation state and large capitalist corporation conversations around it. It's all very well devolving responsibility to what you're doing individually, but there's huge amounts of problems with behemoth-sized organizations that just isn't changing because they're propping up the way everything is run. That's what's really difficult. That's why I become quite defeatist about it, because I just feel like it's not going to make a difference and there's nothing that I can do. Again, it's it's a terrible, apathetic position to be in, but it is where I am. Right, well, we better get out of here then. Remember, show at linuxafterdark.net if you want to send in your feedback. We'll be back in a couple of weeks, but until then, I've been Joe. I've been Chris. I've been Gary. And I've been Dalton. See you later.